that you've been traveling with Jesus, as many in the crowds had been, thousands had been. And you're still trying to make up your mind about this figure who has disrupted the landscape of your Jewish life. And as you continue to follow him and study him, get astounded at times to time by him, but wondering still, where does he fit in with everything that I understand about the Torah, about God? And now you find out that he's at a, at a synagogue near you. And so in you go into the synagogue. Synagogue is more packed than normal because Jesus is there. And as you make your way into the synagogue, you look around. You notice all of the normal things that you would notice. Men on one side, women on the other. Synagogue ruler, president of the synagogue, keeping order, keeping things going in the right way. Respected man, gravitas, all about him. And everything is proceeding as normal. But there's tension in the room because while everybody is respectfully giving their attention to the synagogue ruler, they also know that this guy Jesus is here. And they can't help wondering, what is he going to do now? It's at that stage of his ministry. And as a matter of fact, what we're about to read here in Luke 13 verse 10 is the last mention in this gospel of Jesus being in a synagogue. And as you go into the synagogue, and there you sit, seeing all of this, there's also something that you would not be able to have escape your notice. And there's a woman in the crowd who is grotesquely distorted. And she is doubled over with some sort of a disability that leaves her in such a state that she's not able at all to be able to rise. What, whatever it is that has somehow contorted her, and it's, it's something attributed to evil by Jesus, as we'll read on. But, so there you are, and those probably would be the things that would be top of your mind. Let me pay attention to this guy as he's conducting the affairs of the synagogue, the synagogue president. What's going to happen with Jesus? And probably even a bit of compassion as you looked over to a woman that really has got a, a really rough plight. So with that in mind, let's read this. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on a Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? 
And should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free, literally unbound, on the Sabbath day from what has bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. And why is it? That they, because every one of them, as Jesus said, knew that they did untie their ox or their donkey. Every one of them knew what they did do in kindness for their animals and would do on that day and perhaps had even done already on that day. All his opponents were humiliated. And then there's an offset here. It doesn't have it in the NIV. But all the people were delighted with the wonderful things he was doing. And so, as you would have imagined, sitting in that synagogue, something's going down here. And for sure it does. It's not just going to be the keep on keeping on of religious routine that you've so grown accustomed to in your week after week synagogue experience. Jesus is a disrupting force. And he's such a great figure that no one can sit on the fence and observe the things that Jesus is doing and still remain on the fence. Jesus is too great of a figure to be left to neutrality. And either you're after him with all your heart as he demands, or you oppose him. Oh, if I don't oppose him, I'm just not sure. That's opposing him. He's too great to leave some sort of a twilight zone in between. Either you follow him on his terms, or you decide to hold on to your own terms and reject him wholesale, although wanting it to sound better than that. But now this issue of the Sabbath. Let's go ahead and read in uh, Exodus 23. Exodus 20. Let's just read the Ten Commandments on the Sabbath. So keep your finger in Luke. Back to Exodus you go. Second book of the Bible. Hint, hint. This makes God's top ten list. Number four. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's verse eight, by the way. Uh, Exodus 20, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. <clears throat> Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And just flip over a page or two to Exodus 23. Not always do you get the, and here's why we have this law. But with the Sabbath, we do have more than a few passages that say, here's why we have this law. Exodus 23, verse 12. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and that the slave born in your household 
and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. That's why. Is that God wants us to be refreshed. He wants anybody who's under the yoke of labor to have a chance to be refreshed. So stop driving so hard. Give everybody a shot here. And it's, it's much uh, more difficult if perhaps you're the owner or the manager really wanting to see production, 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 greater wealth, uh, getting ahead, covering the bills, getting out of debt. We, we know what? We need to work. We need to work. But in the process, there are a lot of other people that become affected by that as well. The people that might be working or working with or under uh, in those situations. So that's why God gives a blanket time of refreshment for all his people and, and for all his animals. So it's, it's a, a kind and amazing commandment. It's one that Jesus has addressed already in, in Luke, in, in Luke 6. He, he says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. But he also says in Mark, in the parallel passage, the Sabbath was not made for man. I'm sorry, he didn't say man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Since I bungled that, let me explain it a tiny bit. In other words, you're not meant to be a slave to the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is meant to serve you. And it is given to you by God as a beautiful gift. But he knows that we can easily not have the foresight that God has and that we can cut off our nose to spite our face and work ourselves to the point where we think we're gaining, but in fact we're losing. And so he says... I, I'm giving you the Sabbath. Now, amen, that, that, that establishes the idea of the Sabbath, but it doesn't define a word that is key in that fourth commandment. What does work mean? What constitutes work? Does untying my donkey co constitute work? A lot of people argue, is it donkey or donkey? Well, is it monkey or monkey? Think of that. It's not very important to the point here. But how about, how about fetching a pail of water from the well? You know, I, how far can I go to get water and bring it back before that begins to be work? And so over time, there were different regulations in the Mishnah that were established to help people understand with a bit of clarity what is common sense as to what is work, what is not work. And in general, it came down to if you're carrying some sort of a load or doing anything like that or traveling more than a kilometer, more than a thousand yards, let's say, then that is work. Now, does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't. But at some point, those that were trying to give advice to people who imagine if you were all keeping the, the, the Sabbath, you'd have tons of questions about that all the time about am I, am I not? Am I, am I not? I mean, it's a big deal. It's fourth commandment, top 10. And. And so the Mishnah was there to reduce the, the tension and the complexity and the stress. And, 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 and as such, it was able to establish structure and systems and routines so that you're not always paralyzed by the analysis, you know, the paralysis of analysis of, am I doing a work? You know, and, and it's coming up every week of, of whether you're thinking that way. And if there's some simple guidelines that help you to live within those boundaries, it was meant to put your mind at ease. 
so that you can think about greater things. Contemplate the, the, the wonders and beauty of God. Go to the first slide, please. And so, organized structure triumphs over disorganization. Right now, you're all going home and saying, I really need to work in my closet. <laughs> in our worship of God, we have somewhat of an organized structure. You know, people, when I, when I invite them out to church, sometimes we'll get a discussion and they'll often say to me, nah, you know what? I'm not really into organized religion. Then, of course, my eyes light up because I get to say, then you'll love us. We're like barely organized. Come and see. But even though we may be, I think, a bit looser on structure and rhythms and uh, and different kind of smells and bells that often accompany organized religion, we are nonetheless have a bunch of things that keep us from having to think through every little minute of what we do all the time. Right? right? I mean, you come in and how many songs do we normally have before the welcome? Three. Oh, wow. You almost said that in unison. <laughs> really? And then, what, what comes after the welcome? Another song. And what happens after that? Ah, all right. And then after the communion? Oh, okay. I mean, we could go through the whole thing here, and, and you'll all be bam, 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 bam. And it is interesting, if something is thrown into the mix, like, let's say, a fellowship break, everybody's, whoa, hey. What, are we under new management? What's going on here? Likewise, you have a seat that you're sitting in that I bet you're kind of used to right now. <laughs> Even though this is kind of a fluid chair set up, we just grab them off the side and put them here. Somehow that stack of red chairs suddenly organizes itself into something that is a very real and specific structure where it ends up being your chair, your spot, time and time, always time and again, right? I mean, I, I always know, you know, to the, my right is Kim Cornelius, to my left is my wife and Ray. Uh, you know, b behind that, I turn, I give the, the right hand of fellowship, of course, to, to Mike and Shanika, and, and then, you know, and then Joanne comes a little bit late because she's serving. I give her the right hand. You know, and it's week after week after week, you know, this is all, all going on, right? And, and uh, if, if anything kind of throws that off, it is a bit disturbing. <laughs> But why is all that, in a sense, good? Well, because if you had to think through every single thing, like, where should I sit? What should I do? You know, I'll sit with the teens. Okay, that makes sense. I'll, I'll sit with the campus or sit with the singles or I'll, I'll sit with my Bible talk. But, you know, and, and every, you have all that. If you had to think through all of that, you wouldn't have the chance to, in a sense, allow your brain to be unshackled from that silliness to being, do bigger things like, who can I encourage? Who can I love? What, what, what's going on? Let me find out. Let me make a new contact. Let me do these different things. That's the beauty of structure. Think if you had to think through your morning routine, right? When the alarm clock goes off, you go into the closet, you get what you got, you do your shower. I mean, if you didn't know what you were going to do, if that wasn't automatic pilot, your life would be crazy and you'd be frazzled by the time you got out of the door. 
It's like, oh, there's so many decisions. Like, what kind of shampoo? Where's the razor? What should I floss? How does this all happen? So all of these routines we want in our lives. We do, we want them because they allow us to be able to kind of think more freely and, and operate at a, at a higher level of cognition rather than, all right, do I put this foot? Okay, right foot then, right foot again. Oh, oh okay, good. Right. So it, all of this in our lives, the more that it becomes a routine, the better it is for us and thus organization always trumps disorganization. However, even in, in this situation, organization had deeply ingrained expectations where, you know what, on the Sabbath, there are certain things that we don't do and we consider healing on the Sabbath not really kosher because that's a bit of a work. And so why not just wait until tomorrow and, and deal with the healing then? That way we don't in any way entrench on the, I mean, it's been 18 years. Come on, 18 years in a day? What's, what, what's so bad about that? Imagine those are all the expectations in the mind of the Sabbath-keeping president of the synagogue. And, and when he sees all of that disturbed, he's more concerned about systems and structure than he is about people. Let me go to the next slide. And while structure triumphs over no structure, Jesus, however, triumphs over structure. And he comes to bust up old wineskins. He comes to shift paradigms. He comes to disrupt and he comes to blow our mind. And at every turn, as all these people are following Jesus, they are startled again and again at how he's able to thumb his nose at expectations that have been built. Now, he doesn't thumb his nose at the Sabbath itself, only some of the more specific regulations that began to somehow crystallize what it meant to live for God on the Sabbath. Jesus was not in any way trying to break the Sabbath. He was trying to honor the Sabbath with a day being able to refresh God's people. What would be more refreshing to you if you've been doubled over for 18 years than to suddenly have all your life change. And for us, I think we've got to recognize too that Jesus comes into our life as a bit of a, uh, an iconoclast, one that is trying to break down barriers that are just barriers for the sake of barriers. And even to realize what Jesus is doing here in this story as we see it, is something pretty remarkable. I would imagine if you really got what Jesus was saying to all of the Jews over and over again, and you were with him in that Sabbath, that what he was doing for this poor woman is what he wanted to do for Israel as a whole. It was what God wanted to be done for his precious possession, whom he took out of Egypt, his special people. Because the devil, the accuser, the enemy has had Israel in his power for so many years at this point. And the one thing that can free Israel is Jesus's upside down kingdom message that he wants to bring to them. But instead, Israel's insistence 
on tight boundaries, including the rigid application of Sabbath traditions, is preventing that from happening. In other words, Israel is bound, but bound by their own traditions. And until they can be unbound, they won't know the deliverance that is really theirs. And so this woman bound, bound by this, this work of Satan, it doesn't seem so much as it's a demonic possession, by the way, as a demonic influence that has put her into this place. Although it's, it's hard to understand all of that totally. But because it's not a, a behavior that she's exhibiting, but a condition that she's exhibiting, it seems as though Satan has somehow been able to have an influence on her rather than you know, directly possessing her with all that is going on here. Uh, it's also interesting, by the way, that this story purposefully shows a woman being intimately connected and healed by Jesus. Because in the next chapter, you're going to have another Sabbath healing and it'll be a man. And I love the way the Gospels go out of their way to show such a balance between men and women. Even in the midst of a Sabbath, I'm sorry, of a synagogue in which there's a, a literal chasm between men and women. Again, Jesus is breaking even that down. But Jesus is trying to show Israel, and a much grander picture going on here, he's trying to show Israel, I am providing you something that trumps all that you think is going to deliver you. You think that if you can bind tradition onto the law, and wrap it tighter and tighter. That that is what is going to bring you righteousness. Well, I'm here to show you that you've got to break those bonds. You need to be loosed from all of those bonds. And, and to be able to accept what it is that God is going to bring you. But if you want to stay bound by those old wineskins. You're not going to ever know what it is to be set free. Limitless in your ability to pursue righteousness. You are limited by your own bonds rather than unlimited by what is coming your way in a new covenant. A covenant not restricted by Torah re regulations or by traditions that build a hedge around those Torah regulations, but a covenant that is going to bring the Holy Spirit of God Himself into your lives to dwell within you and to set you free on a path of explosive, limitless righteousness. That's what's coming your way. And on a grand scale, that is what Jesus wants to affect in this story. And of course, he does it through the demonstration of, unbind, of unbinding this woman. Now, I'm going to go on a, mit, a, a minute of excursus here because you, you, some of you may realize that in the King James, verse 12 says, Woman... Thou art loosed. And that is where it comes from. And it is a kind of a, a popular phrase in a movement. Yeah. And what I want to make sure that I, I even address with that idea is that it's very easy to think that the way that we can be set free as this woman was set free is not by repentance that Jesus has been preaching all through chapter 13 up until this point, but rather by a healing. Now, what do you think Debbie's going to be thinking if I said, you know, yes, I know I'm proud. I got a lot of pride. I don't like to be given advice. 
Yes, I get defensive when you try to, you know, give me a heads up about how to act around the kids. Yes, I get defensive when you say that I've not been caring enough for you. But you know what my issue is? It's not that I need to repent. I just need healing. She'd be like, oh no. Our home is in a world of hurt, if that's what he's holding to. But who, who wouldn't want to be able to say it that way, right? That's all I need. I just need healing. I just need a, a special touch from the Lord. Just as this woman received. And apparently Jesus hasn't touched me yet. So pride it is. Whoa. That's a frightening idea. However, here's, here's why I bring up woman thou art loosed. That is the idea. That is the idea behind that movement. It is the health, wealth, prosperity gospel that is actually preached through that whole idea where you're not sinners in need of repentance and deliverance. You're victims that just need to have healing. And, and yes, we all have issues in our life where we've perhaps been done wrong or abused and, and God forbid that, that all those have occurred. But if, if we're looking for a deliverance of our selfish, fleshly indulgences, don't mistake this healing with what repentance really is able to deliver to us. And it, it's very easy to just go passive and say, I'm just trusting on the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord until He's finally able to give me a spirit of humility before I finally ask my wife how she thinks I could be a better husband. I'm not doing that until the spirit of humility comes upon me with the touch. Oh my goodness. Think of what would happen to home after home after home if that's the way that we operated. Train wreck, train wreck, train wreck, train wreck. But that's the danger of, of that doctrinal approach to, to woman thou art loosed. And, and as a matter of fact, in that whole movement, sin is scarcely mentioned. As a matter of fact, the abusive husband who uses physical force is described in that movement as a little boy who's been wronged and is expressing it in a wrong fashion. How about, no, how about that is sin of rage, that is sin of hurt that is going on there, that is abuse on the part of that man now that he's grown. How about we call it what Jesus calls it? Again, this is a woman who has a real physical ailment that needs to be loosed. When, when there's issues of sin, Jesus doesn't treat it like this way. He doesn't say, oh, oh my goodness, look at you murdering and stealing. Pride is a, proud as the day is long. You know what? You just need my touch right now. No, here's what Jesus says in those circumstances. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, greed. Maybe I say that again. Uh, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. They don't come from some sort of demonic possession. They don't come from some sort of life circumstance. They don't come from your friends who have influenced you. They come from within, out of the heart, Jesus says. 
And what do they require? They require repentance. Because that's the gift that God has given us for sin. Now, yes, He brings families together. He makes things whole. He heals. He's terrific. But He heals things that need to be healed. But He calls things to repentance that are sin. Amen. That's my excursus. Back to the point. And finally, point number three. People triumph over structure. And here, in Jesus' sight, is an ethical dilemma. I got this synagogue ruler up there who's pretty ex exercised about the Sabbath. I got the fourth commandment, keep the Sabbath holy, clearly in sight. And I got this woman right over here who is clearly in need of touch. You know, Jesus could have chosen structure over this woman and no one would have criticized him because he could have just healed her tomorrow and everybody would have been happy. But people are that much more important over structure to God that this healing occurs that day. And to give her even one more day was against the will of God. There's a Latin proverb that says, he who gives quickly gives twice. There's something beautiful about seeing a need, jumping on the need, having compassion and going into action because you care about that person. And I don't know what can get in our way of structure that gets in the way of people, but I know what does in my life from time to time. Maybe more from time to time. Being late for church versus being kind to my kids. You know, what suddenly takes the, uh, the, the triumph in that situation? Suddenly it's, no, no, no. I don't care what kind of damage I do with my tone to my kids right now. We're getting them out of the house and we're getting to church on time. I wonder how Jesus would have felt if he was just kind of chilling in the third seat of my, of my car as all that's going down. Be like, hey, bravo. Way to go. Way to make sure that you get there on time. That's awesome. Now, there's a, an interesting little dynamic that occurs in our church. We begin to sing right around 10 o'clock, but a lot of people are, are having some really great fellowship. And it's pretty fantastic. And, and I appreciate the song leaders. They don't stop the song and say, what in the wild, wild west is going on here? We're singing to the Lord, and you're back there having your little quiet, you're having your little chit-chat together. They don't say that because I think they realize, you know what? That's fellowship. That's people loving one another. And it's a shame that they couldn't get here, you know, a few minutes earlier to be able to do that, of course. <laughs> And I'm sure they must feel really bad that they so dearly want to love one another and yet be able to participate in unison with others that are raising their voices in praise to God. I, I, you know, I guess that could be solved a bit by yelling at your kids more and getting here earlier and having that fellowship and then be able to say, no, 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 no. But a little bit of structure would help in that case. But we face, we face those little dilemmas all the time. And... And, and what I want us to do 
is to think, what are my sacred cows? Right? How dare you sit in my seat? Oh, wait. You, you, you brought a visitor and you needed some extra seating. Oh. Well, you still, you, should, you can find another spot. <laughs> it's the teen section. Don't you know that? Everybody's always encroaching from the front and the back. We barely keep our section tight. What's going on? We're pushing chairs up all the way against the wall. Nobody can get through when the ushers are coming. What's going on here? But, but it's very easy. But, but I think even to, like Jesus kept the spirit of the Sabbath. He wanted to love and refresh and release that woman on a day of refreshment. He kept the spirit of it. I, I think this is the other thing that we've got to recognize. Do we keep the spirit of what we do when we kind of do church, when we do Jesus? Do you confess or do you really repent? Hopefully you know what I mean there. Ah, I said it out loud. I think I'm good. So I can't feel it guilty. And if anybody asks me, well, did you keep that in the darkness? I say, no. I said, yeah, you may have checked the confession box. But confession is really all about us coming to a place of really being released through repentance. Do you read the Bible or do you really apply it to your life? Oh, this one convicts me so much because I tried to do a bit of an inventory on what my reading was over the past week. And I realized that I read a lot, a lot in the Bible this past week. But were there instances where I really thought, all right, this is going into practice today? Sadly, I could only think of one out of, out of maybe 30 chapters that I read. One little bit of application. Oh, and this week, as I'm being convicted by all of this as well. But give yourself that own little bit of a checkup. Is it just reading to round yourself out with Jesus' word? Or is it really because... You want to do what it says. Do you pray? Or are you really coming before the face of God? What an amazing honor we have to commune with God. Is your prayer just simply a, thank you Lord for this wonderful day. Please help us have a good night's sleep. Help us have a good day tomorrow. And please bless everybody who's got stuff going on that needs something to happen to them. Right? I mean, how many kids don't have that prayer like every single night? And I think it's a good thing as parents, disrupt it. Do a little Jesus action on that one. It's like, whoa, 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 we got into a mindless loop here. Yes, it's structure. Yes, it's repeatable. Yes, it doesn't kind of give us paralysis of analysis. But maybe we do need a little bit more thinking here on this sort of thing, even in our own lives of, of, of what does our prayer life look like. You know, are we just praying through a list of people? Or do we really want to know more about them so we can really pray and put that before God? Here's a big one. Do I invite people to church or do I love them? And this is a big one. It really is. As I, as I look over what's been going on in my life. I, I have little like kind of goals in my sheet of like how many people I would be sharing with a day and you know, and so I'm like, all right, I got to make sure they're out and about and meeting people. But sometimes I come home self-satisfied that the number matches the number that I had in my book. Not because I loved those people. Not because I thought, hey, maybe you, know, you want to grab a cup of coffee. Hey, maybe we can, it sounds like you get a lot going on. I'd, I'd love to be able to, to sit and talk about this even more with you. 
rather than what happens? It's an invite to church, and if that doesn't work out, well, oh well, let me move on. But how about if I really did try to connect what could really happen? I think even in our neighborhoods, practicing hospitality, knowing that something will happen. It, it, I know for Deb and I, it's, it's a lot easier for us just to simply invite people to church as we see them in the neighborhood. But it's a lot harder to actually say, how about we carve out one of our evenings and have you over for dessert or for a meal or, or a game? That is a lot harder. But what's going to open the door for the Holy Spirit to enter the conversation more likely? My drive-by invitation to church or having them into my home? I want to encourage us, if this isn't a kind of a practice of yours, and I hope this would be all of ours, is that at least every month we would strive to have a new friend or neighbor into our home for a time of fellowship and then just watch what the Holy Spirit does and trust that that'll be more amazingly effective than, than the drive-bys. Again, the drive-bys are astounding. 65% of the people were baptized last year. It was because somebody just stopped them. And, and ask them, would you, would you like to come to a Bible talk or to a church event of some sort or another? And then one last one, too, I think, is in our, our times of counseling one another and discipling one another, is it just a counseling time to say, well, good, we're on the every other week uh, schedule that we thought we'd have? Or is it a time where you really caringly shepherd that, that other person? That's, that's a tough one. And if we're really caringly shepherding, we've probably prepared. We probably have some verses. We've probably given us some prayer thought. We've probably even asked advice of our spouse or someone else. How can I make this time more effective? It's what a shepherd would do. Versus, let's just make sure that that time is happening. I think all of those, we got to stop back and think, how do I bust up structure so that I can really connect to people? I can really love. I can really honor God. I can really worship. I can really be shaped into being more like Jesus Christ. And so, as a, a final charge, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find a structure in your life that you can overthrow. Overthrow purposefully so that it will allow you to better love Jesus or others. I don't know what it's going to be. I know for me, there's going to be definitely something going on with me reading the Bible. And putting into practice. There's definitely going to be something going on with me connecting to the people that I reach out to at a greater level of love. Rather than what's been the keep on keeping on of my life. Maybe for you, you're just going to sit in a different seat and see what goes on. <laughs> see how that goes. Um, but whatever it is, pick something. Pick something not just for the sake of disrupting, but for the sake of knowing that that disruption is going to better equip you for loving and honoring Jesus Christ. Amen.